The office tower that CBRE calls its New York home, the famous MetLife building, rises above Grand Central Terminal and is surrounded by other skyscrapers all around. Some old, some new, some that are works in progress. It's a built environment that has been evolving for more than a century. An excellent backdrop for the conversation you're about to hear. On this episode, we survey the scene from a windowed boardroom of CBRE's office in a discussion of construction, the impact of inflation on development, and our new global fit-out cost guide for 2023. A lot of folks who may have not signed a lease since the late 90s, early 2000s, they pop their head up and it's a whole new world. That's Nick McNamara, director of CBRE's Cost Consulting Group, which advises clients on everything from the pre-construction process through construction management. Nick's also a lead author of that comprehensive new publication. I think overall, Spencer, we're definitely busy. We have a good backlog into 2023 for the majority of the year. I would say that our challenges right now are schedule. And that's Danny Montero, Chief Operating Officer of the Reedy Contracting Group, a New York City firm that's been operating in the tri-state area since 2010, focusing mainly on interior construction while navigating this competitive, complicated, and constantly changing market. Coming up, from the heart of the city, we're talking nuts and bolts, dollars and cents, and even a little rock and roll. CBRE's Global Fit-Out Cost Guide for 2023 and more. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and this week we're going to be talking construction and CBRE's new Global Fit-Out Cost Guide. And to help us talk about it, we have Danny Montero. Danny, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having us. And then we have Nick McNamara. Nick, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Spencer. Well, uh, let's start with you, Danny. The big picture out there, certainly from a capital markets perspective, is difficult right now. Things are expensive. There's not a lot of labor. Uh, but at the same time, Reedy's busy. How's business and how are those factors impacting your business? I think overall, Spencer, we're definitely busy. We have a good backlog into 2023 for the majority of the year. I would say that our challenges right now are schedule. Understanding the budgets, I think, is something that is manageable to a certain perspective, uh, as long as the pre-construction period isn't over a year, where then you have to worry about the volatility of material costs going up or down. But then the scheduling as far as getting the jobs released and, and, and getting forward and moving on from a pre-construction perspective has been going pretty well. The challenge is, of course, is you're entering into a market now where you have sub of subs per se that potentially are either going out of business or there's challenges with them. So managing that perspective as well is something that we're keeping on top of. But for the most part, I think it's busy out there right now. Nick, let's talk about this uh, terrific piece uh, that uh, you were involved with, the Global Fit-Out Cost Guide. Why don't you tell our audience what's in it? There's really three main focus in the guide. One is the update on design trends within the office. What's happening? What are the trends in a post-COVID world? What's new and how that's impacting the office? Two is the demand of ESG requirements within the office and clients and occupiers. And then lastly, what are the cost metrics associated with the first two and new offices? So CBRE is able to bundle those three aspects and not only do it from a local perspective, but from a global perspective too. Well, let's just ballpark a couple things here. So we're here in New York City and I saw in your global cost guide, some of the most expensive jobs uh, of interior work, it cost up to 650 bucks a foot. Where was this in the last couple of years? 
<laughs> well, there was always that one or two, what, what you would call a unicorn, that's yeah. 650, and everyone would talk about that as the you know, beautiful technology client that had everything. But now we're starting to see that $650 from a project spend, I'm not going to say it's the norm, but it's more frequent than what we've witnessed in years prior. So 650 isn't the number. So when people listen to this, they say, oh my God, 650 in New York. It's really, that's the high end of the market. You still see a typical job, would they be around 300? Yeah, certainly. The spectrum can be anywhere from 200, right, for a basic. And, and that might be you're reusing a landlord's original fittings into a project and you retrofit into the space. But a complete new build, I mean, we're not balking at a price of 400 plus all in on a project. So let's assume I'm a occupier. I certainly want to have the best space possible, but I'd much rather pay 300, not 650. What do I get for that extra 300 bucks? Yeah, there is a wide band. And I'd say once you're above that 650, you're talking about either extremely small square footage in terms of scope of work or a completely different product, trading floor, hedge fund, et cetera. But for $300 per square foot, and just to remind everyone, the cost guide is for total project costs. So that's inclusive of construction, your professional fees, which your architects and engineers, furniture, fixtures, equipment, and technology. So for 300, you may be spending 200, 225 in construction, and that's gonna get you a high quality office fit out. It's gonna get you a mixture of glass office fronts and then some back of the house areas for janitorial or mail services. It's gonna get you conferencing and it's gonna get you open work area. Uh, additional to that 225, you're gonna be spending anywhere from 10 to $15 per square foot in professional fees, maybe a little more. And then for a furniture package, you're gonna spend anywhere from 25 all the way up to 50, which is also an area that's risen throughout this entire supply chain debacle. And then lastly, your technology products, which cost is your ITAV, your infrastructure of cabling, would be anywhere from $10 a square foot up to $25 per square foot. I would agree with what Nick's saying. If you're in the 225, 250, 275 construction cost range, even to $300, you're talking there's some trading floor elements to it, some higher end finishes. You're getting the meeting rooms, the uh, breakout spaces, things of that nature. And then when you go completely above that, then you're starting to talk more custom spaces, you know, custom millware, custom stone, more of like amenity feel space within the office space. What's the most exorbitant thing you've seen put into office or other space? I, uh, a few years back, uh, a financial client, to cover up the columns in their office space, they had this specialty millwork that looked like a trunk of a tree. So all the column wraps looked like tree trunks going through. And just the cost to find the people to actually install this, we were fighting back and forth because we were having budgetary issues, but... I think each one costs about a quarter million dollars to wrap a column. All righty. That's a, a lot of money for a fake tree. Danny, what's the most exorbitant thing you've seen? Obviously, you don't have to identify the client. Yeah, so we, it, it's actually a space that we just finished, and I think construction cost there was somewhere north of 1,000 square foot. Um, I mean, we flew in stone from Greece. We flew in millwork from uh, South America. And again, that's a very custom amenity kind of space. But yeah, those are the kind of things that when you get into those kinds of projects— they look awesome when they're completed. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome comes at a price, I, I suppose. <laughs> so, Danny, how have things changed in the last couple of years, post-COVID or otherwise, that has impacted not just the cost, but the process you follow to try to mitigate them? 
it's been pretty kind of relative for the last three years. It hasn't gone up dramatically per se. I'm not talking about structural jobs. I'm not talking about high infrastructure mechanical jobs because that's really where you're seeing a lot of the cost increases from a material perspective. The bane of everyone's existence right now is lead times. And I'm having this problem right now on a project where we're doing work for a landlord. We're repurposing the building. Um, so we're doing a, a main infrastructure package there. Uh, but we have supplemental units going in that normally would take anywhere between, I would say, 12 to 18 weeks before COVID. And now we're talking 30 to 40 weeks of elite time. And when you drill into it, when you actually go down from the chain of custody and chain of fabrication, you come to find out that the reason why something is taking so long is literally the coils that go within the unit. Uh, so those are the challenges that we're coming against. Lighting controls is something that is ridiculous right now in the market. Uh, something as simple as a dimming switch with some sort of driver going to a light and not to get too granular. Uh, but those kind of things are now being installed somewhat of a day two, where you put in regular switches for a client to move in to be able to utilize the space, and then you're coming in afterwards to retrofit those. So those are the challenges right now that we're seeing. So Nick, um, Danny did a real good job talking about the very specific issues uh, he and his team are facing with respect to materials, uh, timelines, but no two offices are the same. And we um, are broken our offices into three basic categories in your fit-out guide. I want you to just walk us through what those three categories are, why we picked them, and how they might be different from a cost perspective. Sure. The three categories are based on a one through five tier system. One being your employees are going to show up into the office maybe one day a week. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have five. And five out of five would represent what we call activity space. And that's your prototypical 70-30 split between open work area versus office. The second is more of the flexible workspace or hybrid workspace. And that's where your employees are coming into the office maybe two to four days a week. And what we're calling that is more of a team environment. You're going to reserve a place. You're going to coordinate the days that you're in the office. And then lastly are the offices, which we call event. And you plan every once in a while that you show up in an office. Here I go. Here is this an event that I'm actually going to be physically in person. So all three of those layouts correspond to what the habits of the occupier are. What are some of the differences you might see globally in terms of cost, fit out, and timing? I think the biggest difference from a global standpoint is just the cost of skilled labor. So you'll notice in the report, it might be cheaper to build in some places in Europe and Asia Pacific, where United States predominantly is the most expensive region to build. And that's because this country is experiencing shortage of labor. And a lot of our skilled labor and trades are also aging too as well. You're not seeing people being brought up into the system. So you're having a surging of demand on a shortage of skilled labor, ultimately being passed down in the cost of your occupier office fit-outs. I would agree with Nick. I mean, the labor force right now has been tough to, and to backtrack one second, so we, we do both non-union and union work, right? And where you really start to see that difference is when you're doing work open shop at times, depending on the scale of the project, you have some subcontractors that they think they can do the work. For the most part, they can. But then when they try to bring the labor in, it's some labor that this either never worked with them before or not used to their process or practice, which creates difficulties on site. Then you start having issues with quality control. You start having issues with schedule impacts, things of that nature. New York City, 
shortages of labor on site is definitely uh, indicative of why at times schedules are being pushed or having to deal with constant battles with subcontractors to make sure that they're sticking to the durations and deadlines that are put forward for being able to achieve a, a milestone or a schedule end date. When we're thinking about cost, I'm a tenant, I'm moving into a 30,000 square foot space. What are my considerations when I not just design the space, but how do I start the process? Just walk me through the process of what do I do first, second, third to get to the point where I'm in that space? I don't think you could ever be too early. You know, say you have a lease expiration two years from now. I think the first thing is to just pop your head up and test the market. A lot of folks who may have not signed a lease since the late 90s, early 2000s, they pop their head up and it's a whole new world in terms of cost. So those benchmarks are out the window. So the first thing is jump into a cold pool and and really be shocked with costs. That's probably step one. And then two, start planning around that. Plan what your needs are. What are your company's habits? Where you're trying to grow? Um, this is obviously a little adjacent to cost, but those will all flow into ultimately what type of space you'll be in the costs associated with that. So I think the first step is start understanding where the market's at and what your needs are, and then get some detailed benchmarking of what an interior fit-out cost is. Well, Nick, you're looking at inflation over a long period of time where costs have gone up maybe triple from 20 years ago, but we're talking costs from three years ago, maybe up 30% or more. Though I think, uh, Danny, you said something interesting. You said the costs really haven't gone up. That's a little counter to what I'm hearing. Explain that. I think it's dependent on the projects, right? So if you take your typical pre-built spaces, um, 30,000 square foot pre-built space, it's still within that range of, from what we've been seeing anyway, around 150 to 250 a foot. It's when you start getting into the more complicated projects, the higher end finishes, um, again, even structural projects. You know, a lot of work that we do is interior fit outs. And then when we get involved with structural components, they're more logistical. For instance, we worked on a project actually with CBRE most recently at 230 Park Avenue South, where we had a penthouse pop-up that we did. And it was a decent structural integration work there. I would say that perspective of the project three years ago or four years ago would have been cheaper than what it is now. But overall, I would say to you that you're still within the ranges that we're seeing again in pre-builds. When you start getting into the higher end spaces, I think that's where you're seeing like the millwork packages are going up by 20, 30%. Your mechanical systems, right, between mechanical units, uh, piping, anything related to that integral work is going up 20, 30%. But overall, though, I think you're still within a good range of where it's been. I think what's twisting clients emotionally is, as Danny alluded to, some of those rising costs are in the MEP trades, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. Those are behind a wall. Clients don't see that. So sometimes, what am I paying for? And they're not into the construction industry where they're thinking through all of the systems, all of the processes that need to happen to an office space. We tend to look at the things we can see and we can touch, whether that's millwork, glass office fronts. So I think that piece in itself is causing a little bit of an emotional reconciliation between what the cost is and what they're used to paying. Let's stick with this MEP, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, for just a moment. Because right now, there's been significant changes in laws that are either in place or likely to be put into place. Local law 97 here in New York is getting a lot of attention. But also, there was a new federal law passed called the IRA, or Inflation Reduction Act, which is making it 
uh, a whole lot cheaper to put in some new base building equipment through tax credits. And we did an episode on it, which is going to reduce some of the costs of mechanical electrical plumbing, though the new regs aren't in place yet, but the law is in place. Have you guys talked about this at all yet? It, it certainly comes up in meetings. Right now, we're still in the early stages. As we discussed in a previous presentation, a lot of clients are trying to figure out how to react to those. I would say on that point, clients are also looking at clean air initiatives within their space, bringing outside air into their space, ultraviolet in terms of the ductwork, clean air. And they believe that that is fundamental to the productivity of their office. So some of those costs and those endeavors for ESG and those new local laws are in relation to pushing forward with productivity, maybe not just from a mandated perspective. Well, for the audience's benefit, I did not plant that question, but it did come straight out of the weekly take, our podcast we did on healthy buildings. Uh, When we had uh, Joe Allen and John McCumber, they said that clean air, clean water leads to not only less sick days, but more productive employees. But the fundamental impediment to bringing these types of systems into place is who pays for it. So what are you seeing when it comes to some of these new sustainability initiatives, clean air, clean water, or otherwise, Danny, in the construction area? So I I think it's just that. When when we do work for landlords and when we're doing repurposing of buildings and such with landlords, you're, you're seeing that conversation happening, right? The efficiency of the mechanical units that are being put onto the floors, which typically the landlord won't do unless a tenant gets involved, but the ultraviolets and stuff like that, the HEPA filter systems, But then when you're doing your typical fit-out spaces, unless you're putting in supplemental units and such for the tenants, that's where a lot of that perspective is coming in. Uh, But I I would agree a lot of times if a tenant's looking to upsize or increase the filtration systems and such um, on the base building units, that's where it starts to come. Is it above standard? Is it standard in the lease? And that's where you start seeing some of those conversations come up. But they're happening more often now, would you say? I think they're happening more often somewhat behind the scenes. Typically, they're happening before it hits uh, the design documents um, so that the design documents are trying to keep up with some of those requirements and uh, some of those requests. So let's talk about the evolution of construction. And one of the great things about New York and other great cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, is they are constantly evolving. And they're changing not only from the standpoint of Uh, more buildings, but taking older buildings and converting them. Uh, Maybe that's the hottest topic right now in real estate is the potential conversion of office to multifamily. And in this very room, we filmed an episode on just that. Here's what Anoop DeVay, CEO of Victrix, had to say about the demand for conversion. It used to be everyone always wanted office, and there was always the most incentives for office because they viewed that as a win on many fronts. It created jobs. Well, today, housing creates jobs. Remote work is here to stay. And those tenants that you have in your building, they're workers. They're going to contribute to the neighborhood. And they could be budding entrepreneurs. A lot of cities are getting that. And that's why they're also moving forward on conversions. How much are we seeing of that out there right now, Nick? Yeah, we're seeing a lot from a pre-construction standpoint where investors are reaching out to us and saying, we have an idea or we think we're going to be doing this. And a lot of those ideas all are under the umbrella of conversions. You know, we're here in New York where there's a lot of landmark buildings. And a lot of those are looking to be retrofitted into different things. Uh, 
Danny brought up a project before 230 Park. Well, that's a landmark building. And I think you're building out kitchen and studio space within that landmark building. Yeah, as well as amenity spaces as well, yeah. I can't imagine the original architect would think they're going to film food shows, making cakes within those walls, but certainly that's happening. Let's now turn to other types of jobs you're seeing, Danny. So in addition to the conversion of office into multifamily, which again may be the hottest topic in town, we're also seeing more co-working space. How have you seen the evolution there where you're either putting together formal co-working space or what might be called a vanilla box in our business or just free constructing space in an effort to get tenants in there? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, Again, just on Park Avenue South, we're on two projects involved where working with the landlord direct, we're doing white boxes of the spaces. But what we are doing is amenity spaces on the roof, on the first floor. What we're seeing as well as a lot of design talks about integrating, especially in that area, integrating kitchens and, and, sorry, restaurants within like lobby spaces to try to attract outside end users into it to make that the building a feel of, um, you know, you're able to work, but you're able to go either to the roof or downstairs to be able to have an amenity space to utilize. Uh, So we're definitely seeing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So work from home, you're in construction. You're in construction. Oh, this is a tough topic. (laughs) Well, it's a topic that needs to be discussed. And well, it's not just impacting construction, it's impacting all businesses. How do you guys look at it? I'll I'll start off. I think it can be done, but everything can be done in Goldilocks theory, right? It's the new norm where people are expecting more flexibility in their jobs. So I don't think we're going to be going back where everyone's going to be five days a week. And this is coming more from a construction management perspective, not from a tradesperson, but certainly I think the world requires a human touch, especially in the construction industry. It's the business of implementation, and everyone always jokes about how construction, something always goes wrong. Well, there's hundreds of things that you're implementing across many different trades, and those type of things need in-person leadership throughout that. So again, I think it's going to find its way somewhere in the middle or that Goldilocks zone of how we find ourselves in and out of the office or in or out of the project site. Now, Human Touch, wasn't that, was that Hall & Oates? I'm trying to remember the band. Well, I'm from New Jersey, so that's a Bruce Springsteen song. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Corrected, correct. By the way, I did a New Jersey gig last week, and I I had to let the audience down because I told them uh, during the speech that Jersey Girl was not written by Bruce Springsteen. It was written by Tom Waits. And I'm telling you, the whole speech went downhill. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of like the honorary governor. Number two, maybe Bon Jovi, from from that. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, we had a we had a Jersey episode recently, and uh, I w- we were naming Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, but Frank Sinatra came out as a uh, number sure. one, and so it's uh, sure Frank Frankie Valley too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of greats. Um, yeah, it's something. I think the folks that kind of grow up in the shadows of New York, there's just something about that chip on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. That, Wasn't that uh, the whole plot of The Sopranos? I think so, right? Uh, he, he wanted to be the big boss, mm-hmm. you know, on top of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. So, Dan, let's turn back to you now. So, hybrid work. We know one of the shakeouts is that we are seeing more conversions of office to multifamily. But uh, quite candidly, I think many of us in the business are concerned about B, office buildings, not only from an office demand standpoint, but really um, some of them may not even be able to be converted. And, and what do you do? 
Putting aside the high end, let's go to the B end of the market, which needs the most attention. What kind of work are you doing in those kind of buildings? I would say that there's buildings that we're working in. And, and again, you're, you're specifically talking office space or? I'm specifically saying office. Okay. So yeah, there's definitely pre-built that are being built right now, landlord-wise, uh, that they're putting in new office fronts, putting in different paint finishes, wall covering, carpet finishes, new lobbies, things of that nature to try to attract some tenants, some big tenants. The thing that we always hear is tenants are all going to the new buildings, right? Hudson Yards, one Vanderbilt, uh, Brookfield Properties, those kind of things. Then you start seeing some of the clients that we, we do know that are in grade B buildings that are trying to spruce up their space per se to try to attract some of those other tenants that don't want to go to those bigger buildings or newer buildings. Are you seeing that in specific neighborhoods or is it kind of all over the city? It's kind of all over the city. We do a lot of our work in Midtown. We're doing a lot of the work like in Park Avenue South area. Uh, Park Avenue South was a big space that over the last two years we saw a lot of amenity spaces being built to try to attract again those tenants. Uh, But in Midtown, um, we're seeing a lot of those refreshes happening uh, in common corridor spaces, lobby spaces, and obviously within the the tenant pre-built spaces. Nick, let's go back to ESG for just a moment. Um, We have a moving target right now in terms of laws changing, in terms of uh, tenants' desire for it. And part of it's capital markets driven with European capital really driving this and saying that we want this in our space. Uh, And then we have changes in law with the federal level. I know it's early for the IRA. I know that it's a moving target. But what advice would you give a tenant in New York or elsewhere uh, to stay ahead of the curve on sustainability? Yes, my advice would be similar to someone who has a lease expiration in two years. It's never too early. But my feeling with a lot of these ESG targets is like a sixth grader doing their homework. When are they going to start working on it? Well, the night before. Um, And I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of investors and clients, landlords are more in a reactive mode instead of being proactive, just because it's murky waters at this point. People don't know how to react to it. And then you think of all the capital requirements, even with the IRA, that are needed to go through all of those ESG changes. With the looming threat of recession, are folks going to be proactive or are they going to be, I'll pay the penalty, you know, from that standpoint? Those answers I don't know, but just... Gathering all of those thoughts, the general advice is connect with the professional, learn, challenge your assumptions, and then ultimately test those assumptions in whatever model that you're working with. Danny, uh, Nick just gave his point of view and used the R word, recession. Um, And we all know it's coming. CBRE's house view is it's coming. Uh, But you did say at the beginning of the show you have a robust pipeline. Tell us how you put those two together. Doesn't the recession impact your pipeline? It, it, it does, 100%. And, and it's obviously something that, as a company, we are concerned of and thinking about. From the beginning, from inception, we've always looked to diversify our sector of work. So it's not just commercial interior. We are looking to do, and we do, hospitality work, bar, restaurant, retail, higher education, hospitals. Uh, again, we have a good, we have a vast experience and knowledge across all of those. Now, the reality of it is for contractors, there's a delay, right? There's a delay in workload. There's going to be a delay in where we're going to see it in conversations. And we continually had conversations with brokers, with uh, obviously CBRE, with, uh, consult- with design consultants. Once they start slowing down, we start slowing down. And it's typically, I like to think it's a three to six month lag. So for us, we have work in pipeline that's already been approved with clients. It's been already approved on their CapEx or, or, or just their overall on their books and stuff. 
but it's chasing the work in three months or so that we want to make sure that we're going after and going after aggressively. So much of this show is about the office sector. But Danny, you mentioned you do with these other sectors as well, retail, hospitality. Uh, do you do multifamily? Uh, not really, no. Okay. Let's stick then with retail and hotels. What kind of stuff are you seeing there that's different today than maybe you saw three or four years ago? You're seeing a lot of refurbishments, uh, you know, hotel room refinishes and refurbishments. They're meeting room spaces, they're refurbishing and, and again, bringing up to a certain level of finish. That's right now what us personally, that's what we're, we're seeing a lot of. It's taking an older space or an older hotel, even like older restaurants within the hotels and reconverting them and getting them up to the times. Well, we're, we're sitting here in, in New York City and I'm looking out the window at J.P. Morgan's beautiful new building that they're building. It's a case study in somebody tearing a building down and building it up again. Now, the point of view there is, of course, to make the building greener, and I'm sure it's going to be the greenest building around once it's done, but there's costs involved there. And so, but there's also costs involved in retrofitting an older building. Walk me through some of that process of the costs and benefits of each. From a high level, you're going to look at your CapEx versus your OpEx. Obviously, in that old building that's not energy efficient, you're going to be spending significantly more from an operating expense standpoint. So I think it's just that first balancing out. And then when you're doing that, you have a really long, long-term long time horizon in terms of what you're thinking your investment is into this building. And obviously with new technologies, new standards, tearing a building down and building it back up from that 30-year time horizon or 40-year time horizon is more advantageous than just constantly piecemeal renovation. And Danny can definitely add to this, but... Obviously, starting clean and starting new is much easier to implement these changes than, you know, adding a Lego block on top of this Frankensteinian beast. Yeah, from a constructability sense, I would agree with that. It's obviously so much easier to start from scratch. Like when you're working at home and you're doing some work at home, right? You open up a wall and you're like, oh, I'm just going to change out the sheetrock and put insulation. As soon as you open up that wall, it's like, oh, that plumbing looks bad. Uh, that electric doesn't look kosher. So, it's it's something that we see a lot in, in, in the buildings and the work that we do where you start off with a plan, you think it's there, and then when you start opening things up, you're like, ah, is that right? I don't think it is. Is that, you know, to, to, from an operations perspective, are you going to deal with that now or are you going to deal with that five years from now? What's cheaper? Just do it from scratch. So uh, from a constructability sense, it's always easier to, 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 to start from now. It's interesting. And when we taped the show with Victrix, they said exactly the same thing, that People don't know what the hidden costs are of retrofitting a building. And a lot of people are jumping into the space, but unless you do a tremendous amount of due diligence upfront in advance before you uh, buy the building, you might be in for some unpleasant surprises. Would you agree with that, Nick? Yeah. And, and you know, service, distribution, all of those things that you're trying to modify, it's almost like a decision tree. If X, then Y, then Z. And you have to be able to be savvy enough to walk yourself through all of those assumptions. And when it's all said and done, going down and then back up is the more efficient model in certain cases. Mm -hmm. But you think about it from a green perspective. There's carbon emission, and then there is embedded carbon, right? The uh, carbon that is in this building, the 200 Park Avenue, is already embedded, right? And the new piece of steel or wood or plumbing needs the energy to recreate it. Uh, maybe the way that we're going to look at this from a cost-benefit analysis is going to change. It might be cheaper, better, easier to tear a building down and start again from a cost perspective. It might be. 
But now that people are looking at the world sustainability, not just from an emission standpoint, but from a more holistic standpoint of, if I reuse that wood panel, that's more efficient than me chopping down a tree and building a new one. Are you seeing any of that, of people trying to go out of their way to reuse existing materials rather than starting anew? We are seeing that, but I think it's more of a cost benefit more so than a carbon emissions thought process right now. I think it's more of, you know, if I'm coming into this this conference room here and as a tenant, I just want to refresh the room, but I don't want to spend all this money and redoing this boardroom, you know, change out the ceilings, but keep the millwork panels. I think that's more of a, is that going to be cheaper or is it going to be more expensive to obviously rip it all out and put new paneling in? To be fair, I don't think any part of any conversation I've ever had about value engineering has anything to do with the emissions conversations or the ESG perspective, um, I'm sure it's going to come, but that's not something that right now is being talked about on any sites we're on. Part of what we do here at CBRE from a pre-construction standpoint is we have quantity surveyors. So you take the architectural drawings and our folks are going to quantify every material and trade throughout those drawings. We're seeing a rise because no one really does this yet. Some big four accounting firms do this not only quantify the materials, but quantify the embodied carbon or the EC3. So it's being pushed on cost consultants a little bit, and we're trying to adapt to this new trend to help clients understand not only things from a cost perspective, but when you do build, how much embodied carbon are you theoretically putting out into the world from a building standpoint? Nick, let's go back to you, and we're going to go with final thoughts now. The fit-out guide, what a tremendous document. Congratulations on putting that together. Um, I think it's an indispensable piece for anybody who's thinking about building globally and not just the cost considerations, but the timing considerations. But what are your final thoughts on your document or otherwise? Yeah, I think the document does a great job of putting an occupier, even an investor, in the appropriate mindset of how to enter into this new world of design and construction And reading through that document, it takes you through more or less a story of what are the trends in the office. Some of those the reader may be experiencing. Uh, Some they're going to be experiencing, like I said, on the ESG. But ultimately, it's just a tool for education and certainly a value add to our client base. Great. And Danny, first of all, Danny, we had the whole New Jersey music thing going down here. Where are you from, Danny? New Jersey. So, oh, you should have jumped in. So who's your New Jersey choice? I really, to be honest, I, you know, I, I love Bon Jovi, but I was just, trying, I was just listening. It was great. It was great. So we're going with Bon Jovi there. So Danny, final thoughts from you. Uh, where are we? Where are we going from a construction standpoint? And uh, what do you see coming down in the next couple of years? So I actually want to touch on what Nick was saying before. It's never too early to get involved and never too early to get the professionals and the consultants in with tenants and end users to really understand where they're going. From a construction perspective, selfishly, we always want to try to get in as early as we can to help the consultants understand budget, very similar to what CBRE has. We also do quantity surveying, so we literally will go to every material, unit costs. Our budgets are very elaborate for that reason. For us, and we always say this with clients, it's if if a job is going to fail, it's not going to fail as soon as you step foot on site. It's going to fail in pre-construction. So when you can get into a project, and and some examples you were saying there before about trying to utilize existing uh, MEPSs or or existing spaces, there's ways to try to mitigate some of that risk. It's getting consultants in early. It's getting contractors in early. It's doing probes. It's doing uh, some studies with the existing systems. Uh, Again, we're doing it currently on, on a couple projects, a bunch of projects actually, where 
you're able to get in, you're able to put a line item within a budget that not necessarily says you're going to use it, but at least you have something there to mitigate the risk of once you get further into construction, it's there to be able to utilize and it's not affecting your bottom line number. Well, on behalf of The Weekly Take, what a great discussion today about construction and CBRE's brand new global fit-out cost guide, and I encourage everybody to read it. First, I want to thank Danny Montero, the COO of Reedy Contracting Group. Danny, thanks for joining the show. Thank you, Spencer. Thanks for having me. All right. And Nick McNamara, Cost Consultancy Director for CBRE. Nick, well done. Thank you much. For more, please visit our website, cbre.com slash weekly take. We'll post a link to the Global Fit Out Cost Guide, along with other information about the show. Once again, that's cbre.com slash the weekly take. And while we're on the topic of construction, if you like our show, please help us build out our programming ideas and build up our audience too. You can share a link to this episode and your feedback, as well as subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll be back next week, traveling to Western Michigan to visit the headquarters of Hayworth, a global leader in the contract furnishings industry. We'll sit down with the company's longtime CEO to learn about the cutting-edge trends in commercial-grade furniture, fixtures, and other fit-out features with an eye on the future of office. For now, thanks for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.